to Who Wore What When, a podcast where we examine the lives of important and interesting historical figures with a particular focus on what they wore in the most significant moments of their lives. I'm your host, Maggie Latham, and I'm joined by Dabney. What is happening, party people? Dabney had a great idea that we should do an episode on the history of Halloween, especially, obviously, you know, costumes, because this is about clothing and costume history all of my ideas are great ideas i mean that's true she is she's absolutely correct in saying that um and i trust her with my life so here we go oh um i'm gonna talk about halloween um full-on disclaimer that i took all of this information from the history channel's website and did no research of my own so if anything is wrong blame the history channel not i honestly that's what i do for every episode though you know various Biography websites. Yeah, but you use various and I used one. I mean... Anyway, um, if you didn't know, Halloween is an annual holiday celebrated each year on October 31st. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. That's incredible. (laughs) Except if you live in Agawam, Massachusetts, where for my junior and senior years of high school, Halloween was canceled due to blizzards. (laughs) (laughs) And in other towns nearby, they rescheduled it to November 5th. And if you are... From my hometown of Claremont, California, <laughs> you were still basically in summer when Halloween was around. Cute, cute, cute. You know what's not fun is having to wear a parka over your Halloween costume. It yeah. really ruins the aesthetic. Anyway, back to the history of um, <laughs> Halloween. We're talking about the clothing, so it's okay. It is It is okay. Um, Halloween originated with the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, which is not spelled anything like that, but I promise it's the pronunciation. I asked a lot of people. Um, which was a Celtic festival when people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts, which I don't understand why you would do. Ghosts are friendly. No, you want them. Casper. Exhibit A. Um, In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as a time to honor all saints, became All Saints Day, and incorporated some of the Celtic traditions of Samhain. The evening before was known as All Hallows Eve and later Halloween. Over time, Halloween evolved into a day of activities like trick-or-treating and carving jack-o'-lanterns and getting crunk at a club in New York City, Um, (laughs) you know, as we we do. Um, Wow, I say um a lot. I'm sorry. Welcome to the club. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's rough when I'm not just... For all my Boynton Beach fans out there. Welcome to the club. It's really rough. No one's going to get that because no one who did that show listens to this podcast. They should. Um, I agree. It's really rough to not say um due to the fact that I'm reading this and I'm not just spouting um, pop culture knowledge like I usually do. Like if you want a rundown of the plot of all four Halloween Town movies, I would not say um at all because I'm very sure of myself. Well, and um, just a little bit of history from what I found. Uh... Not only did this happen in All Saints Day and everything, but it took place on November, or on, hmm, it took place on October 31st because November 1st was the beginning of winter, and winter is also known to the Celts as the season of death. Not inaccurate. On the night of October 31st, the Celts celebrated Samhain when it was believed that the ghosts of the dead returned to Earth. 
In addition to causing trouble and damaging crops, Celts thought that the presence of the otherworldly spirits made it easier for the Druids, or Celtic priests, to make predictions about the future. And for a people entirely dependent on the volatile natural world because of farming, these prophecies were an important source of comfort and direction heading into the long, dark, dreary winter. Kind of like how I have to see my therapist um, imminently because <laughs> seasonal depression is going to set in. What a mood. So my therapist is essentially a druid. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Dabney's therapist. This episode was sponsored by Dabney's druid therapist. Thanks, Lori. <laughs> um, to commemorate the event, druids built huge sacred bonfires where the people gathered to burn crops and animals as sacrifices to the Celtic deities. During the celebration, the Celts wore costumes, typically consisting of animal heads and skins, and attempted to tell each other's fortunes, which is pretty... Cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. I think we should do that for Halloween this year. Wear animal heads and tell each other's fortunes? Yeah. I do that every day anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot. When the celebration was over, they relit the hearth fires, which they had extinguished earlier that evening from the sacred bonfire, to help them protect them during the coming winter. Um, later on, by 43 AD, the Roman Empire had conquered the majority of Celtic territory. Um, so as the Romans took over, they combined their celebrations with some Celtic celebrations to not like totally quash the culture of those they were conquering, which is nice. We, um, we here in America are not familiar with such activities. Um, no, although I do think Thanksgiving has native American origin in like the harvest festival. So maybe not, maybe not, maybe we aren't as terrible as we think. So of these, um, Roman holidays, the first was Feralia, a day in late October when the Romans traditionally commemorated the passing of the dead. And the second was a day to honor Pomona, Maggie smiled. Pomona, California, baby. <laughs> to honor Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. Did you know that? Was did up. you know that about the 909? No, I didn't. But I did know that Professor Sprout in Harry Potter, her first name is Pomona. Oh, I did know that. So I figured it had something to do with The symbol symbol of Pomona is the apple, and the incorporation of this celebration into Samhain explains the tradition of bobbing for apples and also probably our delightful obsession with cider, which is cute. Um, That's complete conjecture. I don't know that. But apples are a seasonal fruit, so. Yeah. I can't eat apples anymore. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't eat apples. My mouth gets itchy. I do it anyway. On May 13th, 609, Pope Boniface IV... Roman numerals are hard, dedicated the Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs and the Catholic Feast of All Martyrs Day was established in the Western Church. Pope Gregory III later expanded the festival to include all saints as well as martyrs and moved the observance from May 13th to November 1st for Lord knows what reason, certainly not the History Channel. Um, (laughs) By the 9th century, the influence of Jesus Christe had spread into Celtic lands, where it gradually blended with the older Celtic rites. In 1000 AD, the church made November 2nd All Souls Day, a day to honor the dead. It is widely believed the church was attempting to replace the Celtic festival of the dead with a church-sanctioned holiday. Don't we love church-sanctioned holidays? I don't. I love greeting card-sanctioned holidays. (laughs) Like, I know most American holidays are just to support the greeting card company, and I'm like, why is that a bad thing? Fucking greeting card writers need to eat. Yeah. Um, So do I, though. Right. I'm I'm not saying blow your savings on the holidays. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, we can keep buying greeting cards. Buy a thousand greeting cards. 
All Souls Day was celebrated similarly similarly to Samhain with big bonfires and parades and dressing up in costumes as saints and angels and devils, which was my Halloween costume when I was 12. I was simultaneously an angel and a devil. Oh. Yeah. To the Halloween dance, which was the first time I saw grinding. (laughs) (laughs) So truly an angel and a devil. It was a dance, all right. God. I I now realize the older kids were like, 12, 13. I was once a, a skeleton DJ. I really love that for you. My my dad like built me a whole like turntable and we bought some records and painted them. Well, no more skills in costume and that was it. That's really exceptional. I'm going to help you come up with a great costume. I have some ideas. But okay, we'll talk it through. Yeah. Um, the All Saints Day celebration was also called Al Hallows or Al Hallowmas, which just kind of sounds like Christmas. From the Middle English, Al Hallowmas, meaning All Saints Day. So it's just Middle English. Yeah. Um, and the night before it, the traditional night of Samhain in the Celtic religion became Al Hallows Eve. And then that became Halla fucking Ween. <laughs> The celebration of Halloween was extremely limited in colonial New England because of rigid Protestant belief systems. Shout out to my fam, the OG American Protestants. (laughs) Halloween was much more common in Maryland and the southern colonies where um, Protestantism was not as harsh. Um, Get away with anything. Yeah. As the beliefs and customs of different European ethnic groups and the Native Americans meshed, a distinctly American version of Halloween began to emerge. The first celebrations included play parties, which were public events held to celebrate the harvest. Neighbors would share stories of the dead, tell each other's fortunes, dance and sing. It sounds like the Celtic festival, kind of, just still. It's very similar. Colonial Halloween festivities featured the telling of ghost stories and mischief-making of all kinds. That's my kind of Halloween. Oh, yeah. I love to make mischief. (laughs) By the middle of the 19th century, annual autumn festivities were common, but Halloween was not yet celebrated everywhere in the country. In the second half of the 19th century, America was flooded with new immigrants. These new immigrants, especially the millions of Irish fleeing the Irish potato famine, RIP, helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween. Love <laughs> the Irish potato famine! People died! I didn't laugh at it, I said RIP. <laughs> and then you laughed. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to all of our <laughs> Irish potato famine victims. Also, listeners. maybe my family? I don't know when we left Ireland. We were mostly Scottish. Anyway, these new immigrants, especially the millions of Irish fleeing the Irish potato famine, which I've just learned it's inappropriate to laugh at. <laughs> Go again! <laughs> it's just funny. It's not, but it is. Helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween nationally. Borrowing from European traditions, Americans began to dress up in costumes and go house to house asking for food or money, which is weird. It's a weird European tradition. I would like to restart that tradition. Well, we have it. It's called trick-or-treating. But they don't give you money. I once got a $2 bill from an old man in my neighborhood. Hey, well, you clearly grew up in a cooler place. I had that $2 bill for a very long time. Literally. Oh, but I'm... Young women believed that on Halloween they could divine the name or appearance of their future husband by doing tricks with yarn, apple pairings, or mirrors. Shall we try it? Yes. We're going to look up some of those methods and try them on Maggie. Check out our Patreon bonus content section for that. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. Thank you. (laughs) It'll be like no one. (laughs) (laughs) David, 
And we have other donors. Noah. Mario Ramirez. Mario. Shout out to Mario Ramirez. Shout out, Mario. Hello, Mario. My dad. My dad's a donor. Your dad's a great donor. Yeah. We need to make some bonus content. Anyway. (laughs) In the late 1800s, there was a move in America to mold Halloween into a holiday more about community and neighborly get-togethers than about ghosts, pranks, and witchcraft. Sounds super 1800 if you ask me. At the turn of the century, Halloween parties for both children and adults became the most common way to celebrate the day. Parties focused on games, foods of the season, and festive costumes. I have ghost Pillsbury cookies in my fridge right now, so I'm living up this tradition. This is the best. Parents were encouraged by newspapers and community leaders to take anything frightening or grotesque out of Halloween celebrations. Because of these efforts, Halloween lost most of its superstitious and religious overtones by the beginning of the 20th century. I'm still going to summon the dead. I'm just not allowed to do it in the apartment. Why not? My roommate said no summoning in the apartment. You can come somewhere in my apartment. Okay, cool. By the 1920s and 30s, Halloween had become a secular, community-centered holiday with parades and Halloween parties and stuff like that. By the 1950s, town leaders had successfully limited limited vandalism, and Halloween had evolved into a holiday directly ma- directed mainly at the young. And I honestly don't think that's a correct statement, because limiting vandalism, have you... What is the day before Halloween called? Oh... Remember. Mischief night or some shit like Something that? like that. Like, you've not limited vandalism, so good luck with that. By 1920 and 1950, the centuries-old practice of trick-or-treating was also revived. Trick-or-treating was a relatively inexpensive way for an entire community to share the Halloween celebration. In theory, families could also prevent tricks being played on their house by giving neighborhood children small treats. So, that's awesome. I actually trick-or-treated until I was, like, 19. Trick or treat around Hempstead. Do not recommend. Thus, a new American tradition was born and has continued to grow. Today, Americans spend an estimated $6 billion annually on Halloween, making it the country's second largest commercial holiday after Christmas. To be honest, I have spent quite a bit of money on this Halloween, my costume, for one party alone, because, of course, you never go to one. Well, sometimes I I blew off a lot of invitations this year. Sorry, everybody. I I didn't mean to. I just was busy. I was working. Um, But one of my costumes alone was 50 bucks. Speaking of commercial success, I hope we were, because I don't know where I ended that last sentence. I don't either. Scary Halloween movies have a long history of being box office hits. Classic Halloween movies include the Halloween franchise, which if you haven't seen the newest installment, it was great. Considered a classic horror film down to its spooky soundtrack, it inspired 11 other films in the franchise and other slasher films like Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, etc. And then there's more family-friendly Halloween movies like Beetlejuice and Hocus Pocus and The Nightmare Before Christmas and It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and Halloween Town 1 and Halloween Town 2, <laughs> Calabar's Revenge, and Halloween Town High and Return to Halloween Town. <laughs> Those weren't even listed. <laughs> she just set them from memory. Other great films include Double Double Toil and Trouble, starring Mary Kate and Ashley, America's Sweethearts. Classic. At age seven, they were executive producers of that film. It's better than I'm doing. Yeah, I and mean, I'm older than seven. I just rented it for $4 the other day, but I kind of want to rent it again because I had to leave in the middle to go to work. What's her face is in that? That doesn't help you at all? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. I've seen it like a million years ago. 
Cloris Leachman. Uh, I love Cloris Leachman. You know who loves Cloris Leachman? Me. My mother. Uh, your mother would love Double Double Toilet and Trouble, starring <laughs> Mary Kate and Ashley from Dual Star would. Productions. But she loves Young Frankenstein is like my mom's favorite movie. Mm. That's a good Halloween movie. One talent I'm working on developing, because I can do it for most movies, but is to be able to name Mary Kate and Ashley's characters in all of their movies, because it's always just two generic girls' names. Right. Especially a hard one would be um, Our Lips Are Sealed because they change their names several times. But in Double Double Toil and Trouble, their names are Lynn and Kelly Farmer. Better than I can do. Yeah, no, I just want to, I really want to have all of that in my head. Like in uh, It Takes Two, um, Amanda and Alyssa Calloway is Alyssa's last name. I don't know if Amanda has a last name because she lives in a foster home. Can I suggest that at one point in our lives, we have a Mary-Kate and Ashley movie night? Hell yeah. I used to have Billboard Dad and Passport to Paris on VHS. Watch them all the time. I my parents have all of these on VHS now, but not here because my mom has them at home because I live in a New York apartment where my roommates do not take kindly to me keeping a VHS collection. Okay. So, as Dabney said, the Celts uh, did wear traditional costumes uh, that were made of animal skins and heads, also, um, which is gross, because I don't know how that works, Um, but don't put animal heads on your heads. Don't tell me what to do. That's gross, though. Like, how do they... That's what the article said, and I was like, man... Don't tell me what to do. Okay. But they wore these costumes because they believed that those costumes made for easier communication with spirits and the dead because they were taking on the appearance of an animal. They believed that the power of the animal could be transferred to the wearer and that could ward off evil spirits that would try to disturb the night. Um, But some other sources suggest that they actually dressed up so that they could ask for food and money without being recognized. Which, that's a mood. Um... And I want to do that. Mm-hmm. That's what I said. Now, later on during medieval times, the Catholic Church would display relics of the saints on All Saints Day, which was November 1st. But poorer churches couldn't afford to take part in this, so they improvised by having parishioners dress up as the saints. Other people would dress up as de- devils and angels and march through church grounds on the night before, which is, of course, October 31st. In the 15th century and later, kids would sing songs and recite poetry at houses nearby to get fruit, cakes, and money from housewives. And America, of course, as Dabney said, became more aware of Halloween in the 1800s with the rise of Irish and English immigrants. Kids would walk around their neighborhoods asking for money or food, but it wasn't yet called trick-or-treating. And Protestants, again, as Dabney previously stated, were not happy with the popularization of a pagan holiday. But then, of course, by the 20th century, Halloween was being celebrated in Canada, America, and most of Europe, and entrepreneurs in the 1930s began cashing in on Halloween and mass-producing the most popular costumes. The total spending on adult Halloween costumes per year is $1.5 billion, and children's costumes are close, but not quite, at $1.2 billion per year. Oh, boy. I think it's hilarious that adults spend so much more on costumes than kids. Because, like, it's supposed to be a holiday for the children. You would think, but I always need more than one costume, and I usually 
start from scratch buying new ones and influencer culture man i gotta take different pictures in all my outfits it's an it's a task that's true And the most popular costumes to this day are still those traditional costumes. Witches are the most popular, um, followed by vampires, skeletons, cats, and other animals. And then in the 1950s, pop culture figures became more popular for costumes. And nowadays, many people dress in costumes not even a little bit related to the traditions of the original festival. And yeah. Like mine, it's it's nothing to do with the festival. Yeah. You don't know yet because you haven't seen it. I, I don't. You don't know. Your mind. Oh, God. I'm excited. Oh, wow. Um, The fear of Halloween is actually called Samhainophobia, so it's based on the Celtic name for Halloween. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, Another fun fact. One quarter of all candy sold annually in the U.S. is purchased for Halloween. Willy Wonka is shook. (laughs) The first jack-o'-lanterns were actually made of turnips. That's the one I had. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Cats have been part of the history of Halloween for centuries. During the ancient Celtic festival, priests used cats as part of a ritual to try to predict the future. And I do not know how they were used, but I am in fear of it. Legit. Um, According to Irish legend, jack-o'-lanterns are named after a stingy man named Jack, who, because he tricked the devil several times, was forbidden entrance into both heaven and hell. He was condemned to wander the earth, waving his lantern to lead people away from their paths. My question is, though... Doesn't it seem like hell would be worse than that? Well, it's purgatory. He's not in heaven or hell. Right, but, like, how is that, like, a worse punishment? That's fair. That's true. I mean, I don't know enough about religious depictions of hell. That's fair. I don't either. All I know is Dante's Inferno. The bon in bonfire is a reference to bones. Priests used to light large fires to represent the sun returning after the hard winter, and they would throw the bones of cattle into the flames, creating a bone fire. Neat. Black and orange are typically associated with Halloween. Orange is a symbol of strength and endurance, and along with brown and gold stands for the harvest and autumn. Black is typically a symbol of death and darkness, and acts as a reminder that Halloween once was a festival that marked the boundaries between life and death. Cute. The history of Halloween includes a lot of romance. Scottish girls hung wet sheets in front of the fire on, on the holiday to see images of their future husband. Young women would also peel an apple, often at midnight, in one strip and throw it over their shoulder. The strip was supposed to land in the shape of the first letter of her future husband's name. That feels like there's only a couple letters that it could actually do. Hmm. Like, how are you going to get an E out of that, you know? Like, You're just going to get really common letters. Yeah. Harry Houdini died on Halloween in 1926, being punched in the stomach three times triggered appendicitis. It was a common trick he did. He could tense his uh, ab muscles so that when he got punched in the stomach, he had no internal damage. But um, it turns out you can't tense your muscles to protect yourself from an appendix rupture. Fun fact. People used to bake Halloween cakes with a ring and a thimble inside, get the slice with the ring, and you would be married within the year. The thimble, you'd be unlucky in love. Tragic. Bummer. (laughs) I wouldn't risk it. A child born on Halloween is said to have the ability to talk to spirits. Remind me to conceive a child at the end of January. When you should talk to, isn't Noah Smith's birthday? Yeah. You should ask him. I will ask him, but I would also like for my child to be able to talk to spirits. That's fair. 
I ran out of facts. Boston, Massachusetts holds the record for the most jack-o'-lanterns lit at once, 30,128. Wow. Originally, you had to dance for your treat. Most experts trace trick-or-treating to the European practice of mumming or guising, in which costume-wearing participants would go door-to-door, performing choreographed dances, songs, and plays in exchange for treats. Hey, what do you get if you divide the circumference of a jack-o'-lantern by its diameter? I don't know. Pumpkin pie. (laughs) That was a good one. That was a good one. She got it. Ooh, the movie Halloween was filmed in 21 days. (laughs) In an attempt to decrease robberies and crime on Halloween, Walnut Creek, California banned masks without a permit. I know someone from Walnut Creek. Well, they need a permit to wear a mask. They should should ask. In Belleville, Missouri, it's illegal to ask for candy if you're over the age of 13. I once was collecting cans for the homeless... Uh, and a woman, like me and my friends, I was in high school, we went up to the door, and she goes, you're too old to trick-or-treat, and we were like, we're asking for cans. But in Alabama, it's illegal to dress up as a priest or a nun on Halloween. Divisive enough for you? <laughs> I mean, that's just a fact. The average bag of candy one child will collect on Halloween contains about 11,000 calories. I feel bad about myself. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't know. I was reading this great, oh, I was reading this great Instagram thing about um, not to tell your children when to stop eating their Halloween candy and to let it be up to them because they will figure out when they're full and if they get a stomach ache, they lived and learned not to eat that much candy yeah. rather than treating candy as an evil thing and making them afraid of food. That's smart. I yeah. like that. Intuitive eating, man. I need to find. You know how much your body needs to eat. The end credits. Diets are terrible. And that's what intuitive eating's about. This episode of Who Wore What When was researched and written by Maggie Latham and Dabney Rao. What up? This podcast is edited and produced by Dabney Rao. Also edited by Maggie Latham. Oh yeah, I forget. You know you do that. Eh, sometimes. This was inspired by David Henderson's History of Clothing course at Hofstra University. And all four Halloween Town films. And all four Halloween Town... They should have sponsored this. Yeah. Oh, well, it's okay. This episode was sponsored by Lori, Dabney's therapist, uh, Paul and Snicket, the world's best black cats, and 11,000 calories. And you know what? Mary-Kate and Ashley's hit film Double Double Toil and Trouble, because why not? Cloris Leachman is a hit. Some of the research for this episode came from the History Channel website. Did you know that making a podcast costs money? It do. It do. If you'd like to help make the production of this podcast possible, you can follow us on Patreon by searching for Who Wore What When. For only $1 per month, you'll get access to bonus episodes, and for $5 per month, you can get access to some of our research materials. And additionally, for a one-time donation of $50, you'll get a custom embroidery made by me. They're baller. Heck yeah. Please support us with however much you can afford by going to Patreon and searching for who or what when. We appreciate every contribution. That we do. Special thanks to David Henderson and everyone who voted on my Instagram poll that they would listen to this podcast. David Henderson gets too many shoutouts from us. <laughs> yeah, we should cool it on the David love. <laughs> love you, David. <laughs> but not that much. Did you enjoy this episode? Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Five stars only, please. And tell your friends to listen. Why not? 
And check us out on Instagram at whoorwhatwhenpod. You can also visit our website at whoorwhatwhenpod.com. Do you have questions, comments, or concerns? Email us at whoorwhatwhenquestions at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Have we gotten any emails to that email? Because I don't uh, think we ever so. have. I have their, they auto-forward to me, so no. That's really offensive. Come I on, mean, guys. I mean, if you have questions. If you don't, I'll just be sad. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay, bye. It's been so long since either of us has recorded, and I think my brain is mashed potatoes. Mashed potato, mashed potato. <laughs>